Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Weeping and wailing, Darren, in this valley of tears. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's raining. Um, but, but they, I mean, I'm indoors. So it, um, that's that, that's something. How How are you? Yes, for this Valentine's Day special, we are indoors, as opposed to the experiment that we did last year in the before time, where we wandered around Dublin and talked about, uh, was it before sunset? Amazing uh, that it, like, did it rain? No, it, it did not rain. It was astounding. I think it might have rained immediately after. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As soon as we got the recording equipment off the streets, it worked out. But yes, this is our Valentine's Day special. This is coming to you the day after Chinese New Year as well. So, you know, I mean, look, this year we can't go walking in the not rain together. So instead, we're going to give you two Valentine's Day specials, one of which was chosen by me and one of which was chosen by Andrew. So we're going to go with mine first, which was the one lining up with Valentine's what? Day. Sorry, Chinese hold on. New Year. <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah. OK. All right. If it's canon, I guess it's. Well, it's... it is actually accurate, but we'll come to that when we get to what we're talking about next week. I have week. never heard of that other movie that, that that was supposedly my idea before you told me about it there. <laughs> All right, then. So, yes, this week um, to kick off to, to mark the Chinese New Year and also Valentine's Day being tomorrow, we thought we'd talk about one of the most romantic movies on the 250. Um, this is Wong Kar Wai's 2000 In the Mood for Love. And we have two fantastic guests lined up for, to talk about it with us. We have the wonderful Luke Dunn. How are you, Luke? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, listeners, I apologize if my audio doesn't sound the best. I'm whispering it into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm sending the the MP, uh, the MP3 onto Darren from there. Yeah. No, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Ah, our pleasure. And the fantastic Stacey Groudon. How are you, Stacey? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm not in a tree, but I am I am speaking from a different time, I guess you could say. Wow, yeah. Time yeah, that yeah. doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The past. Not, 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 <laughs> I'm coming not in, to you from the past. past yeah. I forgot uh, to say, I'm, I'm not in Phnom Penh. <laughs> I'm not in Phnom Penh. I'm in Sean Penn's house. Um, yeah, um, should we call the police, Andrew? Because that's normally a sign that we should call the police. Yeah, um, I think so. You convinced uh, Sean Penn to let you go to the bathroom and snuck out the window. Um, I said, I'm a friend of Chris. Uh, let me in. Um, yeah, and he was like, oh, any any friend of Chris is a friend of mine. So yeah, it was fine. Okay, well, that certainly took a darker turn than I expected it to. Um, but yes, we were talking about Wong Kar Wai's 2000 uh, movie, In the Mood for Love. And before we jump in there, it's worth acknowledging Wong Kar Wai as one of the great... Uh, world cinema auteurs of the current generation. Um, he emerged in 1988 with As Tears Go By, a violent gangster melodrama, which is frequently compared to Martin Scorsese's Mean Street. But since then, he's had a wave of films crossing a number of genres, including like Days of Being Wild, about a young man's search for his real mother, Ashes of Time, a sprawling period epic about swordsmen in ancient China. But he really latched on to an international audience uh, with the release of Chung uh, King Express in 1994, which is actually seized upon by Quentin Tarantino and released under his short-lived Rolling Thunder banner. Since then, um, he's gone on, he's made the semi-sequel Fallen Angels. He won the Best Director Cannes in 1997 for Happy Together. But then he made In the Mood for Love. And In the Mood for Love is generally regarded as one of the best foreign films ever made. I believe as it stands, um, it was the highest ranked non-English language film in the BBC's best films of the 21st century. It's um, hilarious that we say foreign. Yes, as, as Irish people. <laughs> yeah, they're all like, foreign films. 
Yeah, um, yeah. Sadly, Taffin did not make the BBC's list of the great movies of the 20th and 21st centuries. Uh, but what a mistake. <laughs> I, dem- I demand a recount. Um, it yeah, is also... Uh, I. Oh, sorry? I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's difficult that we don't have um, very many uh, Irish movies <laughs> under 250. But then again... Maybe we shouldn't live here. Um, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Um, and also uh, in the mood for love was also the, I believe it's the most current film um, on the BFI Sight and Sound poll from 2012 as well. Uh, and generally regarded as one of the best movies um, ever made. So before we talk about the production, before we talk about the history, before we talk about the development, um, I know both Luke and Stacey had separately talked about like in the mood for love being one of their favorite movies ever. So maybe, maybe Luke going first. Um, do you remember the first time that you saw uh, in the mood for love and was it, love at first sight or was it more unrestrained yearning Um, yearning. i'm i'm pretty sure the first time that i saw it was maybe four or five years ago at the ifi uh, in partnership with the east asia film festival that regularly uh that regularly holds, holds festivals there um it was kind of i don't remember if it was an anniversary or there was a particular reason that they were showing it that particular year maybe they were just in the mood for it (laughs) <laughs> it was Valentine's well, yeah, I mean, Day. It was it was Chinese New Year. The next week they were doing three hundred. Oh, sorry, <laughs> um, Andrew, your microphone's up. <laughs> oh, I do beg your pardon. Sorry, I'm 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 trying, I'm trying to get away from the sounds of me eating taco. <laughs> I can't I can't hide it anymore. I'm eating tacos. Um, if the listeners want to know what that sound is, it's me eating tacos. <laughs> <laughs> or I might try and edit it out, but okay. Um, but sorry, so, sorry, Luke, before you were interrupted by the sound um, of mastication. Um, yeah, and it was just, I think it was one of those films that I had always known by reputation and had always kind of wanted to watch. And it's one of those films that actually more than lived up to that. It, it absolutely was a case of like the first time I saw it, really, really being in love with it. And yet each time you watch it, it really is one of those films that um, has layers to it, you know, and, and, and the more that you watch it, the kind of deep, I mean, because it's, it's very simple in a lot of ways, but the more that you watch it, the, the more that you can get out of it, certainly. Um, and Stacey, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time that you saw it? And, and was it immediately one of your favorite films or did it grow on you over time? Yeah, I, I think I was also at that screening, Luke, because I remember it, but I also don't remember what the occasion was other than just they had a the East Asia Film Festival was on there well let's show this wonderful movie yes so that wasn't the first time I'd seen it which was whatever four three or four years ago four or five years ago um what is time anymore uh, <laughs> I saw it 10 years ago I'm now realizing it's been 10 years since the first time I saw In the Mood for Love and I watched it in college and we had a module in college which was perhaps inadvisably titled non-Western cinema. Um, you know, so world cinema, foreign foreign cinema, non-Western cinema, all of these fairly contentious um, titles for basically, yeah, this Chinese film. But um, yes, uh, loved it right away. And what's interesting is, as Lucas said, I've also had the same experience of finding new things in it every time I watch it. And actually my feelings about it changing and twisting like for the better each time like there are things in in the mood for love which i'm sure we will get into that i did not like that much on my first viewing 
Like, I loved the movie overall, but I probably did take away some little things that just it just rubbed me up the wrong way. Maybe because I hadn't seen other Wong Kar Wai movies at that stage. It was also the first one of his I watched. And then very soon after that, I watched Chunking Express and I watched Happy Together. And oh, I, I tell a lie. I had actually seen my Blueberry Nights, which is his English language <laughs> film, which I would not recommend. Um, but In the Mood for Love is a completely different thing all of its own. I think it really does stand out, even though there are other films of his that I'd say are also incredible. Um, I, I think it is a, a real career high point for him. It's a masterpiece. And not to get too far down the My Blueberries Night memory hole, but that's the movie that stars Nora Jones, if I remember correctly. Yeah, where's where's that on the 250 guy? <laughs> 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 it, My Blueberry Nights is, I, it was on movie last year. And you know, a movie always has like themes for when they throw something up. Yeah. It was one of those where it's like, eh, you know, every director has a, has a misfire. Very strange. Yeah. Like beautiful disasters or something. It's like it's, something like it, that. It, it's it's not a very good movie, but isn't it nice that he gave it a go? Kind of. Uh, we're put we're tag. putting this up here just in case Nora Jones' career it takes off. Career <laughs> takes, gets a second win. We're waiting for the Norasons. Um Is that like movie are confident enough in like people's fear of loss that they will put on a month of like here's a director's worst movies? Um, uh, Fear of missing out will just drive you to it. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, you could cancel your subscription, but who knows what we have in store next month? Um, Ingmar Bergman's The Serpent's Egg, continuing our trend of forcing. In, you know, inverted commas, foreign filmmakers to make we'll English language showing, movies. <laughs> Sorry. We'll be showing uh, Dune next month because <laughs> it's actually good. Uh, well, I mean, I watched it, so they know their marks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, actually, yeah, then then kind of to, to bring it back, because this is obviously, this is going out after Chinese New Year. It's going out before Valentine's Day. And one of the interesting things that I've noticed kind of like in the situation that we are all living through at the moment is that there are certain filmmakers who tend to get a lot of recommendations in that period who seem to like make movies that people associate with being pandemic or lockdown movies. Uh, Ingmar Bergman has had a Bergman naissance as it were um, in terms of like recommendations because hey you're trapped in a room with people that you're probably going to grow to subtly resent and hate and it's all going to boil over therefore an Ingmar Bergman is probably the perfect movie for this point in time right um and i've seen a couple of recommendations <laughs> <laughs> darren is slowly starting to hate his google home yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, i've seen it looking at me while i'm sleeping it's very uncomfortable um but no I, I, i've seen in the mood for love recommended quite a few times actually as the perfect pandemic watch as the perfect pandemic valentine's day movie so for a very unconventional valentine's day do we think that in the mood for love is the perfect um, or imperfect and perfect for being imperfect kind of Valentine's Day movie. Um, so Stacy, Yeah, I mean, I hadn't heard that about it being recommended as a pandemic movie, but it does make sense to me because while they wouldn't have used the term at the time, there is something of social distancing in the movie. There is quite a bit of distancing and isolation and, and kind of loneliness in the movie. Um, that you have these two neighbors, there's frequent scenes of them passing each other on their way to and from the food market near their apartment building. Um, and just these, you know, th- that they they live these kind of solitary, isolated lives when their spouses are away, as it turns out, away with each other. 
Um, so from from kind of that perspective, yeah, it's like it, the, it is, and they don't ever consummate the burgeoning relationship or don't that we they? see That's on screen yeah. on screen yeah <laughs> in the in the deleted scenes uh they tell another story yeah, yeah. who knows but... no spoilers here <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love by the way that like in the mood for love is so ambiguous that it's technically unspoilable um, <laughs> do they or don't they or or maybe they don't um but yeah, the, the fact that this this sort of relationship does play out on this kind of emotional and very non-physical way on screen, at least, um, does does maybe make it kind of pandemic adjacent. And there's also maybe the sort of temporal anxiety in In the Mood for Love, which is something that I definitely noticed more and more on my subsequent rewatches, which is just this focus on the past and sort of setting the story in the past, perhaps because of an uncertain present or future. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but... Yeah, I think there's, it, a, there's enough yeah. clock imagery to keep us ticking over, I imagine. Mm. Um, mm. Sorry, that that was also, yeah. that was both a pun and a critical observation, to be clear. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, you, yeah you, you, you clock that, that you yeah. could uh, make a pun. <laughs> yeah, and, I know, yeah, I'm going to have just... to watch myself when I, if I keep doing this, yeah, you know? Yeah, you're going to take us off. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, personally, I say we need to wait in semen because it's that's the make of the what? clock. It's semen. Why? What did you say about semen, Darren? <laughs> uh, no, wait, It's the brand name of the. Jesus, it was very alarming. This is what happens when I encourage <laughs> you, Darren. <laughs> um, but yes, okay, fine. But I was also again thinking in terms of like um, Stacy mentioned, uh, Chunking Express. That also has a similar kind of vibe with its idea that like you can live in a city and be, I think, something is at like 0.1 of a millimeter away from somebody. And that is as close as you will ever get to them. Um, and that kind of feels like a kind of a theme that plays to this and perhaps resonates. But what about yourself, Luke? Do you think that's, is this a pandemic romance, so to speak? Is this a, is this the perfect Valentine's Day watch for 2021? Darren, I'm not sure I'm in a place emotionally to answer that question. <laughs> um, I mean, yes. And, and I mean, I think the longing of it certainly translates to uh, a lot of feelings that we're going to be experiencing through a Valentine's Day edition of, or a uh, coronavirus uh, edition of, of Valentine's Day, rather. And that whole idea of not even being able to express, you know, what you are feeling, not being in a position to, or feeling that you're not in a position to, is it's a difficult thing to, to experience. And we, we see in the characters in this film, there's kind of a... Um, the, the, there's so much tension but it's 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 tension that they create for themselves so much of the time and the more the, you see of that the, re, you, the more you sometimes realize that most tension is tension that you create in your own head you know what i mean um not in these circumstances <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it it certainly it certainly can be um it certainly can be interesting to see those connections. And I think one of the things about In the Mood for Love is that, as I say, the story is very much, it's, it's very simple and very straightforward, but we're not really, it's not really a film about like connecting to the characters um, on that kind of level. It's more about connecting to them on a empathetic level. You know what I mean? We, we Through the mood and through the, expressions and things like that as opposed to i would do what they would do in this situation and things like that so maybe you've not felt 
longing or loneliness or, or you know, missed opportunities in the same circumstances as these characters, but you've certainly probably felt it to the same extent over the last year. Well, is it is it is it more difficult to identify with repression because you 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 kind of like keep in um, whatever whatever what, whatever they keep in, so it's difficult for for your repressions to meet. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, I I I I I'd say I'd say I agree uh, with that with with that, Luke. It 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 is kind of. Um, a f- feeling it's a very kind of you know a moody um film and it, it it's it's quite quite kind of slow and yeah I, I don't i don't know kind of if um if it's so much about um identifying with them as kind of exploring kind of a a a, a different perspective it reminds me of something but I, I'll, I'll 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 talk about it in the in the in the recommendations Right. Um, and and Andrew, was this the first time that you'd seen in the mood for love, or had you seen it before? I had not. This was the first time I had seen it, um, and I I really enjoyed it. It was beautiful, beautiful, um, and yeah, just really, like as I say, kind of like charming, um, of strangely warm, um. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, it, it was, it was, it was the first time I watched it. I was very glad I did. Um, it's also worth pointing out, actually, because you do mention. I think both Luke and yourself mentioned the way that it feels kind of. It's more about impressions than about kind of like actual events or kind of character or plot, so to speak. Um, it, it's worth noting in terms of production. Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, Wong Kar Wai as a director is that he is like a lot of directors, uh, both you know American and international, heavily influenced by the French New Wave movement. However, the difference between how Wong Kar Wai is influenced by the French New Wave movement and how, say, Quentin Tarantino is, is that Wong Kar Wai actually adopted the whole idea of not needing plots or scripts in order to get by. Um, very famously, um, he originally wanted to make, this movie was originally going to be a movie called uh, Summer in Beijing. Um, and in order to film in Beijing, he had to get approval from the Chinese censors and they wanted to review the script. And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Not because I'm worried about political censorship, but because I don't actually have a script. That's not how I work. Um, and like his actors would talk about getting like warm faxes in the morning from him with their lines for the day ahead of them. And I mean, like both Tony Leong um, and Maggie Chiang have talked about um, basically at points they would shoot scenes, then they would swap scripts and read each other's lines and shoot the scene that way as well. And he would figure out in the editing room which way he wanted it to develop as it went along. Sometimes he would use both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And actually, when we talk about like the new wave influence, it's worth noting that if you watch any interviews with him as well, he's very much like Goddard, always wearing sunglasses. I think the New York Times described him as the only living person who can get away with wearing sunglasses indoors, um, which is quite impressive as well. But yeah, so that's probably why it's it's more of a mood piece. Famously as well, it was also kind of... um, The production was storied, and we'll probably get into that in the spoiler zone, but the actual coming together of the movie as it as it happened um he basically kept shooting it and kept writing it and he entered it into can in 2000 uh, because that would put a deadline on it 
He said, basically, I will enter this movie into Cannes because if I enter it into Cannes, that means I have to be finished by a certain date. And it was like, yep, then the movie's done. Then I can give up on it and I can go on and I can continue making 2046. But I suspect we'll come to that in the spoiler zone. So, yeah, I think in, ter- in terms of ambience and mood, that perhaps explains a lot about it. Um, but uh, all right, then. So to take us into the spoiler zone, three questions to get us started. So, Luke, do you think In the Mood for Love belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Well, Darren, I know whenever you ask me this, we're usually talking about like movies for children, <laughs> and like particularly, particularly, particularly bad movies for children, which I complain about a lot. I know it's really a case of like having to put my money where my mouth is and actually talk about a film for grown-ups that's good. I would say absolutely yes. Uh, in the mood for love. Should be How did on. you get in here, Luke? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, you're, I just you're complained. Not yeah, I just complained so much, Darren. I think finally you just felt sorry enough for me. I mean, to be honest, I'm not even sure what he's doing in the Zoom meeting. This, this isn't Baby Geniuses too, Luke. <laughs> yeah, no. This is this is my this is my buffer to to get me then in to do Baby Geniuses too. <laughs> um, yes, I, I I would put this on the two hundred the list of two hundred and fifty. The IMDb's list, certainly the 250 uh, best movies of all time, I think is certainly for, um, you know, Eastern cinema, cinema. It's 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 one of those works that you really, I mean, I don't know if there's any movie that I would say you have to watch, but it is one of those that certainly if you're getting into Asian cinema, you're, you are going to see it and you are going to be rewarded for that. So, yeah. And Stacey, what about yourself? Do you think that it belongs on lists of the 250 greatest movies of all time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the that BBC list and the sight and sound annual, or, you know, is the, it, the list that they put yeah, out every is it decade. 10 years? Yeah, it's, it's every 10 years. Yeah, it's like yeah. every decade. It's like, it's not annual, it's... Decandial? I don't know. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Um, it's a decade it, list. Very high up on both of those lists. I'm surprised that in a, a bigger list that encompasses kind of 250 movies, this is only at 239 uh, the last time I checked IMDb compared to like it's number two on the BBC list. It's in the top 10 on Sight and Sound. IMDb has it 239. Well, the and... IMDb is just more discerning, to be frank, right? You know, I mean, they're, just, <laughs> they're, they're kind of like of a higher standard. I think they hold movies too. Do children... Do children vote on the IMDb? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what I would say is I can't think of 238 movies that are better than In the Mood for Love. I could maybe only only pull up a, a handful for me. It's it's a real long time, like wow. steadfast favorite of mine. I think it's an exceptional movie. Um, it is worth noting, actually, like In the Mood for Love is the rare yo-yo movie that exists um, on the 250, where it has not only been in and out, but it's it's soared and fallen and soared and fallen. So like it came in in 2000, it rose to a peak of like 223 uh, back in, in 2005, and then it dropped out um, just a couple of months later, came in again, rose to 244, dropped out in January 2009, then came back in in 2010, rose to 227, and was gone by March 2011 as well. Um, and then basically in in 14, out in 16, and it's currently been in, uh, got as high as uh, 231 uh, on June 2019, 
and then dropped massively down to 244 and has been climbing again. It's it's a really odd pattern in ter- again, I know people love talking about numbers on this podcast. I find like I genuinely find it fascinating yeah. that like because we normally talk about like arcs where they tend to trend downwards or they tend to trend upwards. This really seems like it, it's a movie where like every once in a while people will remember how great it is and like vote it up and then some people will arrive and it'll be like, no, 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 no. This this is not what we want this list to be and we'll vote it down. It's kind of strange that it, it seems to like literally happen. It, it's very much, it's like a mountain range looking at the graph on this. Uh, but, sorry. Yeah, it's young men. <laughs> so, I don't know, I think this needs more Marvel movies. Uh, what can I get rid of? <laughs> now, now, cultured young men like myself. Obviously. Very, very different individuals. I mean, come on, Avengers dropped off. Why young? Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, take sorry. the compliment. Um, <laughs> and Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs to the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I do. Um, um, in, in, like, does the 250 um, deserve to be in in the presence? <laughs> 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 kind of, um, yeah, no, it, it 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 absolutely does, and I'm glad um, it is on the list and. It's one of those kind of um, like I, I, I there 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 aren't there aren't a huge amount of movies that I can so unequivocally say like yes yes it should be and considering we've been doing this for like this five years like twenty years, years yeah. five <laughs> five years twenty years three yeah. years seventeen um yeah it's like I'm sure there there have been a fair few movies that 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 I can um that I can unequivocally kind of um, say should be on the top 250, but this is definitely one of them. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think we're going to have a kind of a, a full house or a poker here where I say, yes. I was certain you were going to say, <laughs> <laughs> just to make it interesting. Yeah, just to get a, get a little bit of spark going here at the debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in the next question, but no, unequivocally, yes. Um, again, we've talked about how the list needs to be more global, how it needs to involve more distinct voices, but not only more distinct voices, more like genres. There are very few conventional romances on there, very few genuinely romantic melodramas was on there despite the heavy influence the genres had on the medium's evolution so yes absolutely yes on there uh, as a piece of hong kong cinema as a piece of romance cinema um as a work of, of a remarkably uh, respected international director as well um who maybe doesn't have the same clout as say kurosawa spielberg nolan scorsese or any of the other directors who have seven films on there i think that um i think that carway has only had um has only had two films on there only this and chunking express have actually made the list of his work which is is quite uh, surprising um but yes yeah, so no unequivocally yes which is which is good all right then and then uh luke would this be on your own personal 250 and roughly how high are we going to go i get having read the room um i mean jesus i i, I it would be on my personal list i i couldn't possibly say where about it's pretty high i would say i am finding at the moment it is very difficult for me to watch uh, anything. Uh, it's it's difficult for me to concentrate. It's difficult difficult for me to be in the mood uh, to to really sit through a feature. Um, and yet, rewatching it for this podcast was so easy. It uh, it just washes over you, and it's it's just so it's just such a enjoyable film to experience. It's 
it's it's a film that as i say watching it several times you you get different experiences out of it and different kind of um there's so much to appreciate in how it all comes together um and the like i mean the production design the the music, the editing, all those things, their, their quality is also apparent that it's just a very easy watch. And I mean, for that reason, yeah, I certainly would have it quite high up on my own list. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting in that sense as well, because the movie, well, the movie didn't win, uh, say, the Palme d'Or, or it didn't win the Director's Prize at Cannes. It did pick up a number of high-profile awards there. Like, so Tony Young, Tony Young won the Actor uh, Award, but also it won the Grand Prix de la Technique, the Technical Grand Prize, uh, for the work of William Chang Suk Ping, who designed the film's look and feel, but also cinematographers uh, Chris Doyle and Mark Lee Pang Bin, because um, it's a stunning piece of It's... Work. Yeah, and it's 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 what I think what part of what makes it so compelling is that it is, uh, and you don't necessarily have to know this while watching it, but it is this kind of combination between very meticulous and very particular crafting, and a very kind of loose uh, and kind of more kind of um, improvisation, freely style. kind of assembled. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even even the fact that there are two cinematographers and kind of uh, like I know Doyle left and then. Because he couldn't, he couldn't finish it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, because it had a very many... story production. It took fifteen <laughs> months to make, and they started making the "Is it but, a sequel? But, Isn't it a sequel?" movie while they were uh, making it. I mean that that that's something that could really just take away from it. But in this particular production, the the two different uh, styles of cinematography actually really add to the it. You know, it it really is it really is like form and function really syncing together. Um. So yeah. Has everything going for it, I guess. Uh, and Stacey, what about yourself? So would this be on your own personal 250? And hedging my bets, how high would it go? Uh, I mean, yeah, I would probably have a pretty similar answer to Luke in that, yes, definitely. Um, the most specific I could be in terms of where it would be on that list is probably in my top 10 somewhere. But, you know, it's a movie that's really stayed with me since I saw it for the first time over 10 years ago now um and I suppose as I said with each new viewing of it I get something new out of it I feel different kind of way about it different things hit me in different ways so it's you know it's moved around in terms of my favorite movies it's it's moved up it's moved down but it's never gone too far away from just being very close to my heart uh I would say so you're saying it's yo-yoed like on the 250, basically. It's yo-yoed <laughs> like on the 250. <laughs> yeah. And sort of coming back to that, you said this and Chungking Express are the only two Wong Kar Wai movies that I've ever been in the 250. And you were surprised by that? Well, I, I mean, he is generally regarded as one of the great directors of like world cinema in the 1990s. He feels like if somebody like he literally has a, you know, Criterion box set coming out next month. I figured if mm -hmm. somebody could get that, uh, you know, world cinema starter pack kind of like, you know, sort of like gold plated Ingmar Bergman, you know, Akira Kurosawa, even people on the 250 vote for these films with subtitles kind of cred. Mm -hmm. I would have assumed it would be one car way. That was my kind of guess. Okay, see, I have a, a sort of, the more of his films I see and the more time that goes by, I'm starting to sort of feel like In the Mood for Love is the exceptional film that it is because of exactly what yourself and Luke were just talking about. It has this incredible technical crew behind it 
that have worked so well with Wong Kar Wai's own sensibilities and his own kind of stream of consciousness <laughs> style of filmmaking uh, that perhaps are not always there. And those sensibilities are not always so reined in and are not always so well crafted and put together. And while I think this film 100% deserves to be in the you know, best 250 movies of all time. While I would say that there's some merit in considering Chunking Express to be among those same films, uh, I, I think he kind of got lucky with the crew he had on here. I think this is far and away his best film. And uh, it is it is in large part due to that, that crew. Ineffable the... quality, everything just lining up the way that it did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal 250? I think it would. Um, <clears throat> I'm kind of embarrassingly hard on my sleeve at times, but I have a thing like for um, movies and um, uh, just culture in general that 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 have these sort of re- re- repressed love stories. Like I think for that, and in fact, I'll 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 spoil it. I'll just say that my recommendation <laughs> later on. Remains of the day. Remains of the day. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn you, Andrew. <laughs> Damn you to hell. <laughs> um. Yeah, but the the I don't and I don't know what it is. And the um. I mean, we we've we we've, we've done other movies for Valentine's Day too. Uh, like I think la- last year, we talked about kind of um. Uh, was it before sunrise or before sunset? Before I can't sunset, remember it was the which one, one is the one in yeah. Paris. Yeah, it was the yeah. second um, one, which is the sunset, right? Because sunrise and is they're spending the night together before they go to their separate ways in the morning, right? And then it, sunset exactly. is he's got to get on a he's baby, you're gonna miss that plane. Not to get, not to get too spoilery. Yeah, but like I think one of the things we kind of didn't connect with on that movie was the sort of breezy. Um, relationship it had to infidelity yeah <laughs> and 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 that the, the this 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 movie is kind of like the the antidote to that was um, it roger ebert who described this as this is a movie about secondary characters in a john m kane novel wow okay i don't know what a john <laughs> oh okay the, the postman always <laughs> I, rings I, I twice i had the pleasure oh, oh yes yeah no i know the movie all right with <laughs> jessica lang yeah. And, yeah. yeah 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 um um no, yeah, ab- 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 absolutely. So the, the um, and I I loved that that aspect of it too, because like, like I'm I'm um I guess a big Stoppard fan and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is the kind of probably <laughs> Your the best known yeah. kind of um where where it's these secondary characters, um and I really liked it and the way it kind of unwinds, um to to become something quite um kind of complex and uh, subtle um I, I i really enjoyed it it pays off beautifully and it's and it's tragic too um yeah i didn't cry for some reason but i think that's because <laughs> i was watching this in chunks <laughs> I, I had to split it up um yeah so yeah the the accumulated effect of it didn't didn't uh, quite get to me. I was hoping you'd internalize the repression of the movie and like it feels like <laughs> it feels like bottling up your emotions and not crying to in the mood for love is perhaps the ultimate celebration or acknowledgement yeah. of in the mood for love. Um, but there was another movie like that that I watched like in its entirety and didn't cry. I think it was Elephant Man. <laughs> and my friend was like 
what what's wrong <laughs> like do you need some water um yeah but anyway yeah i remember how upset you were when when as a donald clark ranked elephant man ahead of dune um, <laughs> um but yeah, um, for myself, maybe, maybe at a push. I'm, I, I'm a big fan of these sorts of repressed love stories. And actually, curses to Andrew for mentioning Remains of the Day because I'm a big fan of that kind of subgenre of 1990s kind of Anthony Hopkins. We've no idea what to do with him. Let's put him in a romance, a melancholy romance movie like Shadowlands or Remains of the Day, and he's phenomenal in them. And I've got a huge soft spot for those kind of movies. I like repression a lot. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, but I maybe need to let it sit with me a bit longer, but it, I just, uh, didn't really kind of connect with me in the way that I, I think it has for everybody else because I am a soulless inhuman and I've managed, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I have no feeling. Um, but yes, so maybe is my answer to the question. And then you're not soulless. You, you, you said like in that description, I like repression. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that I, I'm proving Andrew's own point. It's like, like this is a movie for repressed people, but are repressed people so repressed that they won't be able to acknowledge it and connect with it? This is the paradox of making a movie about repression. But no, uh, you're, you're giving it a kisses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so. Oh, yes. So uh, maybe is my answer to that question. And then uh, final question. If listeners have not seen In the Mood for Love, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, stream it to a local device, Luke? Absolutely. I mean, what on earth else are you doing? I mean, if you're listening to this on Valentine's Day, there's a <laughs> there's a decent chance you're, 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 either, you're either doing nothing or you're doing something. So if you have no other plans, uh, I would suggest that there's nothing better that you can do with your evening than watch two of the most beautiful people in cinematic history um, mm, experience yeah. the same feelings of, of loneliness and, and longing and all of those feelings that you may be feeling. Uh, but in much nicer clothes and with good music <laughs> in the background. And probably um, prettier too. Um, you know, not to cast judgment on you, listener of this podcast, but probably. Whoa. <laughs> 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 who's, 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 who's to say? Who is prettier than Tony Leung and Maggie Chung? Like, to be fair, like, I mean, statistically, unless they're listening to the podcast themselves. We don't, we, we don't know if podcast listeners are attractive. Frankly, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like okay. I feel like that was not an unreasonable observation. To no, make, no, yeah. no, it wasn't. But yes, <laughs> right. um, and and Stacy, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch in the mood for love? Absolutely. Um, I'd recommend listeners pause the podcast and Google Tony Long if they've never seen him before, because as we're saying, he is the most handsome man in the world. Um, and in this movie as well, he's wearing these suits. He's got this slick back hair. Him and Maggie Chung are so beautifully put together in this movie that it really does add to the sumptuousness of it and the sadness of this movie that these beautiful people are being both neglected by their own spouses and uh, are denying themselves the opportunity of perhaps finding happiness with each other because... It would not be right. And as Maggie Chung keeps saying this movie, we won't be like them. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yes, uh, definitely go watch the movie. If you if Google Tony Long, you like Tony Long, go watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I do love, by the yeah. way, um, one of the one of, the, and we'll probably come back to this in the spoiler zone. But one of the points that uh, Wong has made about the movie is that, like, he's not entirely comfortable with the idea that kind of like the the idea that these people are like functional, healthy, like people you should be rooting for. And his observation is, if you replace Tony Leung with John Malkovich, the movie would read very, very differently. Um, mm, he's compared him to Jimmy Stewart in yes, Vertigo yes, as yeah, well, yeah. which is a <laughs> very interesting way to read the film. Yeah, go Google Tony Lung, watch Vertigo, <laughs> and watch In the Mood for Love with this in mind. Yeah, There's your new viewing guide. We we need like that kind of Mark Zuckerberg face smash where it's like Jimmy Stewart and and kind of Andy Lung, and you just have to pick one. Um, oh my god! <laughs> when when you're back from that thirst trap. <laughs> <laughs> um and and andrew would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch the movie yes yes i would i expect that people are like is it is it saturday the 13th of february it is indeed and people are researching last minute (laughs) what to do for tomorrow (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, don't worry (laughs) we've got you covered this yeah (laughs) is this this a happy romantic movie is this a kind of a movie that you you kind of expect well it makes it makes you want to make the most of one's life like (laughs) these people don't (laughs) Um, (laughs) as a counter example uh, yeah 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 but it 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 it, it's like it's it it captures the kind of preciousness of it by you know taking it away as a counter example Mm. almost yeah yeah so like um and it it's it's i mean i some sometimes i don't really have any time for unrequited love because it's often kind of one sided you know <laughs> um, but i but That's i, the I, idea. I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i but i i think you I mean have, unconsummated love there's a slight difference between unrequited and unconsummated love perhaps no like people people sometimes kind of like to i feel like uh, you can't like, have two two people who are unrequitedly in love with one another i feel like that's not unrequited love right really is that not surely it's requited this doesn't feel uh quited oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair point um. i don't i don't think they ever quited <laughs> they but ever we'll, had quite us <laughs> but we'll come back to that in the spoilers so. yeah yeah sorry um, sorry andrew no no yeah yeah that, that, um Sorry, was I asked the question or did I just put in? I beg your pardon. No, you were recommending. <laughs> what I recommended, it. Yes, yes, you were yeah, recommended. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, and and I would I would also recommend it. Actually, funny to to Andrew's point there. Um, like this is the story of Alejandro Enyerto, the the uh, director, talking about how when he first saw it at Cannes, he and his wife left the cinema, walked silently into the night for ten minutes, walked to the sea, and then held each other wordlessly for an hour. Um, which feels like the kind of right mood for for kind of this film in particular. But yeah, I, I would absolutely wholeheartedly recommend it. It is available streaming on Criterion um, if you have access to that service in the States or, or abroad. Um, also, Criterion will be releasing a box set um, of Wong uh, Kar Wai's films. Um, all of his films, with the notable exception of uh, of My Blueberry um, Night... <laughs> <But> <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Darren? Is Criterion available in the UK? No, no, it is not. Oh no! 
So, like, say if somebody in Ireland was very close to the UK, they couldn't, for example, cross the, uh, <laughs> the border. No. Okay. No. Never mind. Never mind. But there are there to, are ways and means. America. There are. Okay. Yeah, there are ways and means of getting access to it and paying for it. Actually, to be honest, so it's not technically piracy. Is it piracy <laughs> no. if you can if you trick somebody into taking your money and <laughs> turn for I service? I just want to give corporations no. my money. Yeah. Is something so wrong? <laughs> with that yeah <laughs> the market will work everything out in the end uh but yes yeah. um so there is a box set coming in march as well so if you are interested in checking out um wong kar Wei's films um although as, as stacy pointed out it's worth worth acknowledging that in the mood for love might be the very uh the cream floating at the top of that particular box set but yes yes they're all available there the the, the siemens <laughs> sorry <laughs> on that note we're gonna segue neatly into the spoiler zone <laughs> What did the movie moon for you, Zone? <laughs> so, Stacy, what is in the mood for love about for you? Uh, I mean, as I said, every time I watch it, I find new things in it. But just on a kind of plot level, it is about two neighbors living in the same kind of apartment building in 1963 in Hong Kong. Uh, two married couples, the Chows and the Chans, according to my English subtitles. Um, and half of each couple soon realizes that the other half of the couple is having an affair. And so uh, a husband and a wife kind of uh, meet up and, and kind of, they kind of role play as to how this might've happened as to what they might be like together. Uh, and they develop this kind of interesting emotional relationship. Um, Does that sound a bit right to everybody? Yeah, I think we can all kind of hopefully <laughs> agree on that much. Um, but no, you, you mentioned that every time you come to it, you find something new or interesting about it. Um, so what was what was it that you saw the first time you watched it? And, and what was different this time? I guess, uh, I think we're all more aware of Hong Kong these days, right? And the right. Uh, yeah. complicated political situation in Hong Kong. And definitely knowing sort of the background to the and the, the the fact that this is set in the 60s and not in the year 2000 which is shortly after sovereignty passes sovereignty of hong kong am i getting this right passes from, from britain to the china. uk to china in 1997 yes. so that is something you see i think a little bit in hong kong cinema is a lot of films set in the past because nobody knows how to talk about the current moment and nobody knows how to talk about the future and you know i think in a not even post-covid world uh, a covid world we're all maybe feeling a little bit of that anxiety of not really knowing how to capture our moment so it, it, it sort of struck me that way it's like oh this is why you set films in the past it's like you can play out these kinds of narratives without having to confront what might be around the corner and that that nostalgia for an old romantic connection a missed romantic connection indeed as you know the, the relationship is fairly clandestine from what we see on screen um also it, it doubles really well with 
the idea of this nostalgia for Hong Kong, like Hong Kong as it was in the 60s, when things were different than it will be in 1997. I'm not articulating that very well, but do you know what I mean? There is this nice doubling of the nostalgia for an old relationship with the nostalgia for an old regime. And that it just really struck me this time around, I think. Um, just in terms of kind of placing uh, this in context in, in the new, in the mood for love, because this is something that doesn't really come up in the subtitles and you wouldn't necessarily pick up on unless you had read a bit about Hong Kong cinema or had read from people who understand more about Hong Kong culture. Um, but it's notable that the film is, first of all, it's set in, in the 60s, as pointed out. Um, it was originally where Wong um, Kar Wei kind of grew up because he was born in the mainland um, and his parents immigrated to Hong Kong. He was uh, born in Shanghai and his parents are from Shanghai. And in fact, actually, the film is set among the Shanghai subculture in there and that's notable in in the fact that obviously um you know the the dresses that are worn are very much kind of Shanghai style and in particular um the dishes that are prepared are from Shanghai as well and historically speaking, the Shanghai in or Shanghai's community within Hong Kong has kept to itself. And it's generally been seen um, in the region that tends to speak, I think they tend to speak man, uh, Mandarin, and it's, sorry, Cantonese, apologies. They speak Cantonese there. So the Shanghai community tends to be seen as kind of isolated and elitist and kind of removed from it. So you have this idea of this love affair happening in this community that is already isolated and cut off itself. And he talks about like why the setting was important to him and the level of detail that he puts in here. I think Luke alluded to it and Stacey alluded to it as well. Um, he actually hired retired Hong Kong radio announcers in their 70s to record programs for the show that he could play in the background, um, including like picking out pop tunes and, and Chinese operas. Um, things like the quotes um, that kind of like chapter breaks at various points were taken from uh, these published journals uh, in the, you know, they're called 40 cent novels, uh, but they're published by newspaper writers who would write columns on subjects from martial arts and food to news and pornography and were transformed into these little paperback books. And quotes from those books that he owns actually appear um, in the film themselves as well. And the reason that it's set when it is. Now, it, it's worth noting that, and we'll probably come back to this when we talk about, you know, like the the uh, semi, is it a sequel to a 2046 movie? Because that's also thematically related to the Hong Kong struggle. Um, but the... The, the kind of film being made the way that it was, he originally intended for it to go from 1962 to 1972. Um, but he settled on 1966 for a number of reasons. The most obvious one being that that was the year the Cultural Revolution began in China. And he's talked about how, as somebody who grew up in the Shanghai community in Hong Kong, uh, Basically, that was a moment at which if you were from Shanghai and you were in Hong Kong, you were faced with a choice. You had two choices. You either went back to Shanghai and never saw Hong Kong again, or you stayed in Hong Kong and you never saw Shanghai again. And he's talked about how when the regime changed in 1997, when it was handed over from Britain to China, he had to reapply for his citizenship of Hong Kong. And as he was reapplying, he realized that he'd never actually thought of himself as somebody who lived there. He'd always seen himself as a permanent tourist. He'd always seen himself as somebody who was just there temporarily. And again, it, it's worth noting, Stacy pointed this out earlier, and it led to a whole a host of terrible puns. And I apologize for those. I don't actually apologize for those, but I feel like I should. Um, but um, Wong Kar Wei keeps coming back to clock imagery, and it happens here. And, you know, I watched uh, Chungking Express, and it's, it's also even in, in all of his other movies as well. And in particular, 
His obsession with time is typically a ticking down or a counting down. You'll notice, for example, that in most of his films, it's the ticking of a clock at one minute to an hour. Or in, say, Chunking Express, it's the rotating of a digital clock. So it's the turning of a day or a month on that clock. And that's typically kind of um, how he kind of portrays or how he sees um, kind of like the, the transition in Hong Kong or the moment kind of counting down to that. And Stacey mentioned there the future and, and the uncertain future in Hong Kong and the fact that that is a recurring motif. Um, did you notice the, the number on the hotel room that they go into um, in The Mood for Love? Um, it is 2046, um, which is also the sequel movie that he makes, which is, I think Stacey's seen this and I might ask, might ask Stacey to speak to it in a moment. But the reason why 2046 is significant in terms of Hong Kong is because when China assumed control of Hong Kong, they promised, and again, keep in mind, we live in a, a world where maybe this hasn't turned out to be the case, but in 1997, they promised that for 50 years, they would respect the rules and the culture as established by Britain on the island. So if you lived on the island, China promised that for 50 years, life on Hong Kong would remain the same. So 2046 is the last year of that. 2046 is the point of transition. It's one year before that changeover. Um, and and basically, so that kind of simmers through it as well in terms of like the past and, and the future and kind of why it's built around this idea of a moment of change or transition. And actually, um, and then I might actually ask Stacey to talk to this because I know she's seen the movie. Uh, maybe Luke has as well. But basically, while... Are you saying... Sorry, are we saying no spoilers for how Hong Kong has turned out since? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, <laughs> well, I mean, even even now, even like even in the crisis that Hong Kong's in at the moment, where China has come in and said, actually, yes, we're going to change the rules. We are going to apply our own cultural standards. Everything that we said about respecting Western values in Hong Kong for 50 years is not the case. Hong Kong protesters are still terrified at what's going to happen in 2047 because they see like what's happening now as the equivalent of a soft peddling of what's going to happen when the clock strikes midnight on 2047. Nobody has any idea what's actually going to happen to Hong Kong as an island when that happens. I would happens. have thought that 2047 is pretty meaningless at this point. Like it just feels that the, the, the degradation of any of those promises is inevitable and mm. that's, that, that, that's kind of... <laughs> Nobody's waiting for twenty forty seven for this um, to happen. Um, yeah. Well, sorry. Not 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 that. Not that. Like, obviously, I don't want to discourage protests, but it 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 um it just seems like um they're like well, sorry. I'm I'm not I'm not an expert, but if it feels like as in a lot of things that they're just acting with impunity. Yeah. And um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that there, there is actually, there are still reports. They've talked to protesters and protesters are still like, obviously what's happening now at the moment is terrible, but people are still anxious about that date because the concern is like, if the world is watching and this is happening now and, you know, companies like HSBC are still operating from the island now, what happens when China says all bets are off um, and, and, you know, everything kind of... They, they've already put HSBC on their naughty list. China has like a a naughty list <laughs> that it that it that it keeps. Jack Ma recently found himself on it, um, and then disappeared for a few months. I, d I don't even know if uh, like when this comes out, if he's if he's still kind of, um, you know, a, a public figure or, or 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 anything like that. Yeah, it's it's um. Sorry, yeah, no, it's it's 
it's not. Um, but yeah, and and kind of just just to bring it back to 2046, because obviously this movie had a very storied and troubled production. Um, as a director, uh, Wong has a history of shooting from the hip. He doesn't necessarily entirely finance his projects before he begins. He doesn't necessarily know how much budget it's going to take to make them. He doesn't even know where he's going to make them. Um, so apparently what happened with this is they kept running out of money and they kept having schedule commitments. I think Tony Leung was scheduled to make a movie in Japan and to bring it all full circle back to, I think, Luke's last appearance on the podcast or previous to his last appearance um maggie uh, Cheung was actually contracted to appear in steven spielberg's memoirs of a geisha um as well so she had to leave for extended periods so he actually um and and in order to finance this movie wong had taken on the commitment to make another movie which became 2046 and he ended up shooting the two of them simultaneously and he would actually like location scouting in Bangkok for 2046. He'd go, ah, we should actually use this location uh, and film the mood for in the mood for love there as well, um, while shooting them back to back and while using many of the same cast and crew. And um, in in terms of 2046, it is worth noting that yeah, 2046 is a movie that is explicitly about that. That's why 2046 is the year that he chooses to set the science fiction element of the sequel in. But Stacy, actually, you you've watched 2046 recently, I think, have you? I did, yeah. I wanted to know after my last rewatch of In the Mood for Love, because I knew I was doing this podcast, whether watching 2046 would, you know, add anything to that experience, given that it is a sequel, that it does follow um, Mr. Chow, the Tony Lung character from In the Mood for Love. Um, I would not highly recommend it. I did not enjoy it. It's It's a... It has similarly kind of sumptuous visuals to this movie, uh, to In the Mood for Love. But in terms of what's not seen on screen and what's outside of the frame and the kind of longing and, you know, unconsummation of In the Mood for Love, it's all out there on screen in 2046. He... The character has just turned into this outrageous playboy who starts dating showgirls. Um, everything that everyone feels is quite explicitly stated all of the time. And uh, I, I have to say, kind of, I was quite disappointed with it, uh, with In the Mood for Love being this great, uh, this great exploration of of longing and nostalgia and the things that go unseen and unsaid to see 2046 not really do the same thing was kind of disappointing for me. But in terms of the, the kind of, it, there is that same anxiety and it is kind of interesting. The, the anxiety over the Chinese regime does work its way in, in the form of this sci-fi story. The movie gets its title from a short story that Chao has written about a train that goes to 2046, because there everything stands still, time stands still. You can access your old memories and nobody ever comes back from 2046 is kind of the, uh, the hook of the story, except for its central character who he follows. You know, we go back into the story at various points of the film. Um, but yeah, just that idea that 2046 is this fixed moment moment yeah this this sort of safe haven this place of memories but again a place you can't come back from still a, a, a turning point in a in a slightly ominous and uncertain way 
Um, Stacy, you might actually appreciate this about 2046, which is very much a how Wong makes movies thing. Uh, mm. While he was filming it, he wasn't sure whether Andy Leong would be reprising the role of Chow Mo Wan from um, In the Mood for Love. So while mm. he was filming it, he made a point that none of the other characters referred to him as Chow Mo Wan. So he could decide oh. in the edit, which I kind of love, whether or not it would be a sequel. Uh, I kind of adore that. So if, if the character feels like he's a different character, that's maybe part of the reason why. Um, maybe he should have been. Uh, it's it, it just it's such a startling break in continuity for him to go from this sort of sad, repressed, struggling with his emotions, like cuckold a journalist, to this this playboy who just starts sleeping around and getting pushy and flirty. And it's it's a really really jarring thing to go from in the mood for love where he's so restrained to twenty forty six. That sounds like a natural transition. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, think there's maybe something to it. Like you have your heart broken, so this yeah. is how you act out afterwards. You become a he science fiction a novelist and yeah, a mustache. He has a mustache, doesn't he? He grows a little mustache as well. Just to just so you know, he's a kind of a cad now. He grows a little mustache. <laughs> Um, it is worth actually mentioning in terms of kind of like time within the movie um, obviously little details and this these are again details that you wouldn't pick up on um, if you didn't know about like Hong Kong culture and Shanghai culture the dishes they prepare um, and the dishes they eat throughout the film and we'll probably come back and talk about food in, in a moment but they're all chosen to be seasonal so like audiences in China watching it would know that the would note the passage of time through the change in the food that they're eating uh, which I find very interesting as well and it's worth noting that Chow is actually a daily journalist as well so all his work is basically on a daily cycle he begins again every day on the work that he's doing um but yeah very very quick what about yourself uh luke in terms of in the mood for love what is it about for you um in the mood for love darren is is about living in the moment <laughs> um, <laughs> because you never know when a cultural revolution's gonna happen um well because because uh time the the, the way that the film kind of slows down time or holds on a moment or things like that, or the way that it, it adds, it creates this ambiguity of the passage of time. Um, it's really all kind of playing with this idea that a moment can feel fixed or, or uh, you know, you're, you're an emotion or, or things like that can feel fixed, but they aren't. Um, and you might have this, this very intense feeling towards another person that, is so present within you, it really slows everything down. But you're not on a fixed moment in time and that moment can go and you can't get it back. <laughs> um, and like uh, this kind of era that you're living through, you can have a certain sense of yourself in it and then it's gone. And there, there, there is something alienating about that. And that kind of, there's so much in the film about like kind of, loneliness and things like that but there is a distinction that the film kind of draws between loneliness and solitude because uh like chow and and, and chan Chan. aren't ever alone really uh, because they're they're living with spouses in apartments that they rent from 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 like landlords that are living with them uh, at all times (laughs) playing very weird hours um um (laughs) yeah but it's you know and even um the, the distinction that time can have when you're on your own versus when you're with other people like there's there is so much in that film in, in the film that 
kind of plays around with your sense of your own self and your sense of your own space. And a big part, I think, of why the film, like the characters in the film, you know, they don't, uh, they don't, that their love or whatever is, is, is unrequited is because these are two people that don't actually give themselves enough, uh, you know, space to actually define their own their own feelings and to actually put their own feelings, to make their own feelings present. Do you know, that, do you know what I mean? And then it kind of shows the mistake of that because uh, you don't have infinite time <laughs> to do that. Oh, yeah. I, I like the, the, the Darren's point about him being this daily journalist because when he, he leaves his job as a daily journalist and as a kind of a spectator and interpreter of other people's stories to go off and kind of write his own stories with her. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting because um, when when she when she can no longer like uh, keep it up, you know, but, but there's so many kind of intersecting sort of themes in this because mm-hmm. it, it's 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 the whole idea that like it's worse to be the subject of scandal than to be the person actually doing the thing <laughs> that they're not meant to be doing because like they're they're. they're their um spouses are you know um just having this um blissful affair like with no um, repercussions or no, consequences yeah because they're 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 doing it right versus like <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks andrew um <laughs> versus this is well, these who i don't think they um uh, i don't think ever, anything ever happens between them and but but they have to suffer as if as if they're um as 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 if there's like um you know disgrace themselves they're so sure like at every moment that every every single thing between the two of them is so obvious to everyone around them and that and that everything that they are feeling is is obvious to everyone else which again is, is 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 very it's a very present feeling when you're going through those kind of emotions and yet there is really little to no suggestion that their landlords know that their yeah. spouses are <laughs> well, yeah. off with each other or anything like that. I don't think they um, do, but I, like, I, I think Mr. Ho um, judges her. Um, like like that look that we get from Mr. Ho, like uh, somebody's ringing you and he's not your husband. Mm. Like, um, and, and this is coming from Mr. Ho. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, with his fancy new tie. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Which, as we all know, is shorthand for the for having an affair. It's, is it's, his uh, name actually Mister Ho? But but even in that repression, like there, it's significant. I think for for Chow and Chan that when they realize that their partners are having this affair, they don't even allow themselves to. They don't allow themselves really the anger or the confusion or even the sadness of that. Mm. And they immediately divert themselves into speculation about role play. Yeah. Their spouses and how they would have been drawn to each other. And uh, I mean, part of that is that it's, it's the denial of their own, their own feelings, you know, and, and, but, but it's, it's, they're trying to avoid like confronting their own feelings and in doing that they develop feelings that are just going to continue to to, to be difficult for them and uh, they they really play silly games and uh 
win silly prizes. And I mean, <laughs> at, yeah, at, at the risk of kind of being reductive, um, and I promise this is the last time we'll talk about general Hong Kong stuff and kind of like uh, generalizations and stuff like that. It has been noted that like one of the big recurring themes of Hong Kong cinema, particularly in the 90s towards the millennium, um, is this idea of kind of... Um, dual natures and kind of the idea of kind of the basically just existing as a as a one half or incomplete or as an entity that does not have any power over its own actions um and i mean you know you could point at things like you know even if you want to go to like face off by john woo but we talked about like infernal affairs last year for example i mean even in yeah thank you i i know you want to take my face off andrew um but even like say uh one car ways like chungking express which does a thing of like playing the same story twice essentially it doubles itself over um and you know this sort of idea of not necessarily having an identity being identity being both british and being chinese but being subject to the whims of both of those and being powerless uh, in the whims of empire. And I kind of do wonder if there's an element of that in how the relationship is portrayed, because it's very much it's very much driven by the fact that, oh, their spouses have chosen to do this thing. And as a result, we are in this together. But also we don't have any real identity of ourselves. The only points, the points at which we come closest to expressing ourselves emotionally to one another are when we're role playing. First is when we're role playing as our spouses having an affair. Second, when we're role playing as you telling your husband that, oh, I know you're having an affair. And third, when we're not even doing it ourselves, but role playing as ourselves and figuring out what we're going to do when we break up with one another. So you you have this kind of a recurring motif of they can't be themselves they can only pretend to be other people and themselves and again i, I kind of wonder at the risk of kind of generalizing maybe that's the, a uh are are sorry sorry no no go, go for it go for it no go for it no 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 finish, i was at, i was at, I was, at, I was at the risk of saying i was about to generalize so no i'm quite happy to let you step on that andrew but no i i do kind of wonder if that's kind of like a common theme in kind of hong kong cinema around this time or it's been noted as a kind of a common recurring theme or motif in hong kong cinema around this time well it's definitely it definitely comes across the 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 kind of impotence um of 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 both of them like the 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 um, lines get kind of reused a lot in this movie, and like one of them is kind of "I'll I'll I'll leave you in peace," you know, like it, and 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 the idea as well of not o- not only are they playing other people, but they're also playing not being those other people. Whenever they're playing themselves, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like we won't be them, rather than like we'll be we'll 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 be who we we'll want to us, be, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's it's. It's nuts how they, sorry, nuts probably isn't the, the best way of describing it. But yeah, it's, they're so, they're so, they're so repressed and they're so kind of unfree. That, that, that idea of kind of lacking um, independence, uh, being kind of, um, um, yeah, did, did, I, give, I suppose giving away one's sovereignty. And, and and maybe maybe not 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 feeling like one has um power much yeah. to to power to to do yeah that that I'd say that's spot on. Um, I don't know how yeah how re- um, it is perhaps a bit reductive to read a general political commentary into Hong Kong's like status quo at the turn of the millennium into this, but you know I mean hey 
That's what we're here for, right? Um, some, of the, some, some of these directors don't realize it, but yeah. their subconscious <laughs> yeah. is telling us things. Yeah. I mean, was it James Lipton explaining Close Encounters of the Third Kind to Steven Spielberg, where Steven Spielberg's like, oh, that's what I was doing there. Um, <laughs> to bring it back to, to what Luke mentioned there about like the passage of time, in particular, like Wong Kar Wai's direction of the passage of time, because there is a lot of slow motion here, which is striking. I like the quote from Nathan Rabin that in the mood for love does for slow motion sensuality what John Woo did for slow motion violence but even things like say time lapse like there's a sequence where Chan is walking away and like she's literally only walking two meters but he does time lapse imagery of her walking those two meters which I love as well um but even little things that he does where he will use the same shots and the same angles and the same locations over and over and over again thinking in particular of Chan going to get noodles uh, from the noodle mm. bar where you see those shots repeated quite a few times going up and down the stairs and you know, obviously I think Stacey mentioned them passing each other and not even acknowledging one another really at that time I kind of I like that idea and, and it's kind of odd because we talked about the idea of time being liminal and kind of running out of time and there being a point at which time stops but I think it also gets at the thing that Stacey mentioned about like 2046 which is that there's a point where you are literally just stuck in a routine you are stuck in a habit you are stuck in a way of life and I think I think Wong himself has talked about how in his movies he sees love as something that breaks people out of these routines or these habits or these moments that play over and over again in their lives well it's interesting because there's a kind of a suggestion at a certain point in the movie of the charms of being single it's kind of hinted at but what i i think i think what what it kind of reveals as the movie kind of gets gets deeper is that is this the, the moment where the landlord's the, talking to her about being a young woman and like yeah the, and it feels like she is sincerely um attempting to um to make the most um of that you know to 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 you know get 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 dressed up and 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 go out and kind of um enjoy her own company but i i think what what then happens is that we see that um the charms of kind of um of finding somebody who you can actually be yourself with um are 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 is 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 the real kind of um treasure in the movie that it's not that 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 it that it that it's kind of aiming um that is pointing at that sort of charm of 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 being single and then kind of pointing beyond us oh. um you know you you know what i mean yeah in, in like that that in in this in the sense that like when 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 mr chow Mr. Chow could do all of the uh, the things that he wants to do um, without her, but doesn't want to because he wants to do them with her. Yeah, well, I mean, like there's a point where he literally just turns to write. Yeah, like where where she's sitting there watching him write um, on the like she's just sitting on the bed as he turns around and writes. Like now it's time for the drunken master to arrive, and it's like you know I know writers tend to have like a kind of amplified sense of their own importance and how great what they're doing is. But part of me is kind of like, is she just going to, to sit there and like watch him for like three or four hours as he does what he's doing? <laughs> it, it's, uh, 
it is, and this is what I talk about when I talk about the, the plot being very uh, simple. I, one of the things I always forget in between watches of this is how much of the plot is about um, writing <laughs> serials <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Like, and that's that's how you know Maggie Chung loves Tony Lin so much because she must uh, she's willing to hang around while he writes his Dragon Ball Z fanfic or whatever is going on. <laughs> but it, it does. I mean, does it? What what makes I mean, everything you're saying, Andrew, I think the filmmaking really in, it informs that in, in really engaging ways. And like so much of the filmmaking in The Mood for Love is hyper-focused on, on drawing a, the characters' emotional states and their, their feelings in those particular moments. And that playing around with time and everything like that, that can be so potentially, like there's so much potential for that to be kind of uh, dull and kind of uh, self-indulgent and things like that like for example his other films <laughs> but <laughs> here it, it, it's it's informed so well because it, it, it's it's based in the characters experiences of those moments and the all that slow down and kind of drawing out and kind of lingering in the many sequences of them going back and forth to like the noodle shop and stuff like that for me that all really contrasts really well with like my, I think, favorite sequence in the movie, which is Maggie Chung um, going to the apartment that he's renting the first time. Yeah. She kind of gets the call from work and, and rushes over there. And you think of the, if you think of the literal difference it takes to go from your apartment down the road to get noodles and come back compared to going from your office to this place where he's renting it. And like, she goes back and forth. She goes down to the lobby. She doesn't want to go. She's leaving now. She changes her mind. She goes up and down the stairs. But, you know, it can be like the, the, the time difference it takes to cut one of those sequences uh, versus the many cuts as she's gone back and forth and she's in the taxi. And like, there's that slow motion as compared to Chung's frazzled, frenetic kind of performance in that sequence. It just communicates so much uh, with so little, mm. and it's just, it's just mwah, mwah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really it's really dazzling. So uh, before before we move it off there, just very quickly on on what Andrew mentioned about the idea of kind of like being young and being single, it's worth noting the Chinese title of this film does not directly translate. Um, it roughly translates as flower years, and it is regarded as the years in which a woman is at the height of her beauty. And the again, the metaphor being that it's transient. Um, these flower years pass. Um, and it's it's that horrible phrase we have in in, in English. The, yeah. the the roses come off the, the bloom. The bloom has come, come off, off the yeah. rose. Yes, yeah. it's pretty much that. Or the roses come off the bloom. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it's it's worth noting that like that didn't translate. So the reason why he settled on mood for love, which I kind of love, is that when Can printed the catalog, they rang him up and they said, "We need a title for your movie," because apparently he hadn't put any thought into it whatsoever. So he was like, "Oh." Um, I'd love to call it Secrets and Cat were like you can't call it Secrets there are like four different movies being released this year called Secrets come up with something a bit more specific so apparently he wandered down to a record store and found like a Brian Ferry album containing the song I'm in the mood for love and he was like yep yeah, that's the title that I want for this movie which I kind of love as well um, but sorry Stacey do you have any kind of thoughts on, on that on kind of the, the idea of the, the kind of the the romance the couples being together the sense of time within the movie um i mean just to say again something that struck me when i watched it 
recently again compared to other times I've watched this film is that I used to dislike the way that the film really like accelerates once that kind of clandestine affair is over and he goes to Cambodia and you have her going to Cambodia and it sort of cuts from 1963 to 1965 and 1966 and it you know back to him returning to the apartment building in Hong Kong and just you know how how much time we get in 1963 and the sort of implied time period where they are uh, kind of in this relationship um, and just how how quickly we jump forward to him going to Cambodia and then returning. It felt like we didn't get as much time really of like as much focus on that. But on this most recent rewatch, I kind of enjoyed it because it sort of made me think about the way we do perceive time. It's like we do linger over those beautiful moments, those beautiful lost moments, and we do give more headspace, I guess, to the good memories from longer ago, you know, compared to, you know, oh, and then I, you know, and then I moved to Cambodia and I did come back once, but, uh, you know, she, she was gone. Just some woman and her kid lived in the building then. So I left immediately, you know, and and whispered whispered my (laughs) sorrows into a rock. Um, so, so like heartbreaking. It's, it's really gut wrenching actually. Do you know what it is as well? Mm. He can't knock on that door because he's empty-handed. He's like, mm. like, like he's mm. like he's too polite to walk away from the guy that he doesn't know from Adam without mm. giving him this present, and mm. then he's also he too nothing. polite to knock on the door with nothing in his hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, um, and it's 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 gas because the, the the two characters are polite and mannered to a fault and that that feeds Mm. into their repression as well and like that recurring line of like we won't be like them like these these two characters have this really passion these passionate intense feelings towards each other that they refuse to act on and they both are kind of saying we won't be like them and all these kind of things and you kind of like for whose benefit is this really Mm. um and they're not even willing to explore or kind of uh, test the waters of, well, does the other person here want to to do something? So I'm just going to be insistent that I certainly don't, you know? And it's like, oh, I don't, there's nothing between us is another thing that, that Tony Lung kind of says uh, at one point. And in another film, that would be quite significant because that would you know that would have an impact on her and like him saying that would mean a lot but he's saying it in reference to how the neighbors may perceive them <laughs> you know and say well we're we're both in agreement that nothing is happening or can happen or will happen between the two of us and it's like it's it's it really again is this idea that like holding back on your emotions and on on your feelings and all that is such a tragic thing to do because it's in service of nothing ultimately and it it, i think it builds a sort of a we just get we just catch the smallest glimpse of it and i i I think it's 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 really kind of um in sort of enriches the movie that you have that little bit there because it makes you think about them in 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 a different way even though kind of it's not a very um like it's not necessarily about 
that the movie isn't necessarily about um them having very fleshed out uh, characters but when 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 he says to her um keep a closer eye on your husband the that 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 like the he's kind of left like his love for her he's he's left with a sort of a resentment for her in a way because it's not only kind of that she can't be with him or that he can't be with her um but also that he can't be um with his wife it's kind of like this sly almost like blaming her for her husband um seducing his wife mm-hmm. um and it's a really kind of um uh, petty kind of just kind of a glimpse i guess of 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 what of what it can it can do to a person you know th- this sort of um uh, well i mean that's like that's the that's the suggestion that like the character would probably be a lot less sympathetic towards chow if he were played by somebody like john malkovich for example than played by tony leon um, this uh, the discussion that kind of Wong had that like if you think of it, it's kind of like Vertigo. He's he's very much because he's like again. I find it interesting that like although both of them are very much repressed, and it's very clear that both of them maybe on some level want to do something but can't find the the kind of courage within themselves to do it or the willingness to do it um, and accept the consequences. Um, I find it interesting that he repeatedly reaches out to her think of like you know when they're in the taxi on the way back the first time that shot of his hand creeping to hers and hers Mm. creeping away from him she's the one who's always like no 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 we should get out of the taxi separately she's the one who imposes those kind of limits and those boundaries on now i know later on you have the sequence where he grabs her he holds her hand and she holds back but even like that sequence where they're in the rain and he she's like you know Mm. i didn't I didn't know you were going to fall in love with me. Um, it's not, I didn't know that we were going to fall in love. It's not that I didn't know that, you know, this was going to happen between us. It's, I didn't know that you were going to fall in love with me. And his response is, neither did I. Um, and it's kind of, is is there more of a one one directional aspect to it? Is is it more him driving it than her? Um, I, I, I feel like it's more a comment of the, of the um, role that, 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 that women have. Maybe and 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 uh, like well, I I probably can't speak about this as 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 um I can speak about this. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's the 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 idea that the the consequences for her, I think, as a woman, um, to do what she wants to do are um. Are greater, are quite different, yeah, yeah. To 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 what's in store, um, for for Chow, because yeah. Chow yeah. can leave his wife and and she can't leave her husband. Is is the implicit reading of it in that like he I can think go so. off and, I, and yeah, write crazy I, samurai Dragon Ball Z stories and like future train stories on his own traveling the world, but she can't. Uh, yeah, and it's like he can rent a separate, um. You know, and, hotel room, and even them, yeah. the sequence of her being stuck in his room while they play mahjong all night. The the landlords. Um, this is kind of this is sense of like protect her valor or whatever is, is at stake here, and that's that, that's why she has to stay there to to kind of ludicrous errors and stuff like that because 
even though all of these people are around each other all the time, the very idea that like she'd be seen walking out of a particular room at a particular moment and everything like that. It's like, that's something that he has to protect her from, you know, which again, it's the, the, the characters have no way of, they, they just won't allow themselves any room to see those things out, you know, like in, in terms of one character feeling something more than the other, they have no idea really because they're so adamant on their own ends that no, no, we're not, it's not like that, you know? And in, in term in terms of them acting on it, like the, the, the influences, um, um, uh, for uh for mrs chan like everybody is telling her not to everybody is telling uh mr chow is like yeah why don't you take it easy why don't you get laid like <laughs> like ping <laughs> like, yeah ping, ping like uh, coming out of surgeries like i feel like yeah. i feel like i know what i need to do right now it's like it doesn't matter i'm gonna put out my stitches <laughs> yeah and ping ping is very much like maybe you would feel better if you weren't so repressed <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it should be noted that Ping doesn't come across particularly well. To be fair, as an as an embrace, particularly, of, uh, but <laughs> so, the, like I'm I'm not going to endorse like necessarily his solutions for things. But he he he, he might he might have just like just like a patina of of of, of a point. Um, um, actually, while while we're talking um, about uh, Mrs. Chan, actually, um, or Sue, it's worth noting the costumes in this, which are absolutely exquisite. It is a sumptuous film to look at. Um, the colors, the reds, the blacks, everything looks amazing in it. Um, but her her Kwai Pao's um, or her uh, Chung Sam's, the the dresses, which again are a marker of kind of Shanghai culture, particularly in Hong Kong. Um, famously, forty six of them were made for the film. Uh, only 20 of them actually appeared on screen in the finished cut. The rest were kind of left on the ending bay floor, which I think means that she only had like nine fewer costume changes than Robert De Niro in Casino. Um, but I do, um, the uh, Kui Pao was chosen, actually. Um, it was chosen for a very particular thematic and character reason, which is that it was meant to be simultaneously very revealing in that it's form-fitting, but also very conservative in that it covers absolutely everything. And it almost at points looks like she's wearing a kind of a neck brace. Um, which is interesting as well in terms of like expressing character or theme through through costuming. It's it's a stunning film. In terms of the filmmaking, I loved the kind of teasing that the camera does with the with the with the viewer, where it, like you through you doors st- around corners that sort of stuff. Yeah, because you you've you've kind of established that um, through bars when, at one point. Yeah, when when it's Chow's uh wife or or, or 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 when it's Chan's husband you you only see them in a blur or or it's um or it's shot from like the back of their head so sometimes they will have other characters that turn out to be uh Chow or Chan where they will Role start playing. from yeah. yeah where they'll fade into focus yeah or they they'll 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 kind of have a slow reveal where um they'll 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 turn around and be somebody else, or even they do it as well. I think which is it Mrs. Uh, uh, Swen, or is it Mrs. Koo who's talking to her? And I think it's feels... Swen who's talking to her about like yeah. the, about those years as a young woman and about like any you you worry that like she's chewing out the other one, but it's 
Yeah, the, the, but the, 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 it's, the, there's a moment where, where I thought for a second, kind of, are we, are we meant to think that her, um, that his wife is telling her off? Um, and yeah, that's the, that's kind of like how, how, um, it's, it's very, very well done. And it's, they, it's, it's just kind of, it's beautiful kind of technique. But to to the purpose of 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 the of of the story and really getting you to pay attention, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, even the sequence where they're doing that rehearsal, where she's rehearsing, telling her husband that she knows he's having an affair. That's one of those sequences that you mentioned, but it works so yeah. well because it, it suggests thematically that like these people are so not themselves. They're so lost in role playing at being other people that even the camera that is objectively watching them through which the audience is seeing them cannot tell the difference. There's so little of themselves. They're showing the world that even the camera using the laws of the movie that you're watching is kind of kind of fooled by that as well. Um, what Luke and Stacey in terms of like the filmmaking here any any particular thoughts or anything that kind of jumped out I mean uh, something that's very noticeable about the way the characters are shot in the movie is that they are very frequently framed but this is something that Wong Kar Wai likes to do is kind of bisect his frames so that you're looking at a doorway or a, a like long corridor like at the end of a long corridor or through a window or through some sort of little fragmented subsection of something and I guess that ties into a lot of what we've been saying about the ways in which these characters are trapped are somehow restrained or repressed you know that they are blocked in like in the scene we were you just mentioned there where they're in the street and they're rehearsing her leaving her husband you see her kind of outlined against these bars like it looks yeah. like she is behind bars as she's talking about um how she's going to continue to live her life. And I suppose it sort of works in another way as well, in that these characters are two people who are constantly role-playing and making up stories. And as we've been saying, aren't sure, you know, who they are themselves, haven't really constructed an identity for themselves. So visually it does sort of show them as like, here are characters in a story. Like you're looking at them through a frame. This is a very highly constructed image of a person it's not necessarily a person. Like, I think you could take any shot from this film, almost any shot from this film, and it it, it would reveal something about the, the character, their state of mind, and who they are at that moment in the film's narrative. Like, the visual storytelling in this film really does, it, it speaks volumes in a way that the dialogue doesn't always, or that the camera doesn't explicitly show. It will reveal you reveal to you where where the characters are at or how we are how they are constructed i guess and how how as well like some other characters will explain to you something about the characters that about the main characters that you're most interested in like like i don't know i don't know it was it intentional but it felt very intentional when when uh miss chan is going in to um uh, uh, mrs swen's house and Miss Swen is packing up, and she's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I've uh, I I should have thrown all of this stuff out, you know that 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 like the the whole kind of activity of packing to to leave somewhere is kind of like a journey to the past, yeah. Where mm-hmm. where you're picking up you're all excavating. of these things, exactly, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I I just thought that that was that was that was a really interesting touch. It felt very um kind of um 
yeah, like it was kind of exposing something with, without without Mrs. Chan uh, doing doing it herself because she wouldn't. Um, it's 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 particularly significant to me as well in terms of what you're talking about, Stacey. Like the, I think a lot of the time we think of ca- like camera placement if it's in a corridor or if we're looking at characters through a window or things like that, we think of it as our distance. You know, we think we might think of it as like a voyeuristic thing or just like space between us and the characters, like they're, they're, they're distant emotionally or things like that. But it is, again, it's very much about their not being present where they are. You know, it's, it, it's their, their distance internally as much as anything. And I definitely what really struck me watching it this time uh, is you have that kind of second act um, when they're kind of working and writing together and things like that. It is, in terms of romantic films structure, it is a montage of them getting to know each other and, 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 and all that kind of traditional kind of a thing. And yet it is still primarily framed through mirrors. Uh, it is very rare throughout the film that we actually see characters directly in frame together that isn't a reflection from somewhere else or through something else and again it's like not only is the camera uh, highly evocative in those moments but it also it just it, it makes the moments where they are in frame together all the more significant which is when they're in taxi together or when they're um, you know waiting in the rain together it, yeah I think it's pretty much those two, <laughs> but those two moments for they have, them. They have dinner together. Um, those two moments for them. Well, yes, and, the, and them having dinner together are, are given significantly more meaning, and they tend to be more more lush with the coloring and, and all that kind of thing. Because again, you you kind of you understand how much of this is coming through Tony Lung in particular's memory, and it's like, of course, those are the moments that stand out the most to him. Are the most vivid and kind of uh, mm. lived in and present. Um, actually, I have just two more things in my notes for the movie. So this one is maybe not the most important one, but are we absolutely sure that they didn't do it uh, in the film? <laughs> I, I, like, I, you know, not not to take away the magic of it and the ambiguity of it and the sense of like longing and forlornness, but like, is the film structured in such a way as to be so deliberately and pointedly ambiguous? And again, I, there is there is an answer to this involving the deleted scenes, um, because actually on the first day on set, um, Maggie Chung and Tony Leung shot a sex scene together, and then they shot a dancing scene together. And I love that when Tony Leung talks about this, he's like, that was back when we thought this was going to be a happy film. I'm really <laughs> glad that we took it out, because the dance scene didn't really work. Um <laughs> We had full of sex. I don't know what was the point of all of that. (laughs) Looking at how the film turned out. But like... Even even looking at like things that are in the film. So like the way in which like when they first go to the hotel room and they kind of come out and you see them leaving more than being in the room together and you see her reasserting we're not like them. We're not going to be them. Mm. And a sense in which that might be a reaction to something that has just happened and a need to reestablish boundaries. And then in particular towards the end of the movie when he comes back and it's a woman with her son who live in the apartment next door and the son just happens to look like he might be about four years old, roughly, um, while her husband was in Japan. Oh, God. 
So our what? Oh, you okay? You just broken Andrew's heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, 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 it, it, I, re- I realized that when I watched it, like it, it's not just occurring to me now, oh, okay. but, but it, yeah, it's kind of coming back. Uh, I did actually feel Luke was saying something a moment ago, and I felt like a little while ago, and I felt like I was eventually going to cry. Oh, <laughs> we broke your sorry, repressed Andrew. surface, um, but like we t- 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 well, did about the movie yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was just in general um, I really no. like corridors um, yeah. but um, so like to throw that out to the group um, do we think that they definitely didn't do it um, do we think that it matters whether they did it do we think that the fact that there's some ambiguity about whether they did it um, is something that enhances or enriches the film so what do we think about that question as it hangs over in the mood for love anybody um, okay, don't all go at once. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the I think I I think the ambiguity is good. Um, I I I like um, yeah, I I I um, I don't know how I feel about um, ambiguity generally. Maybe positively. I mean, I did, <laughs> you're ambiguous I did, about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did I did like the end of uh, the Sopranos, and I know a lot of people hated it. <laughs> Um, or like a lot of people is like, uh, um, we're, we're kind of like, here's what really happened. Yes. Let um, me explain yeah, it to yeah. you. Decoding Let, it using imagery yeah. from like the jacket. Mm. You see, he's wearing a jacket and that means. <laughs> exactly. It's Whereas cold like, outside. Um, <laughs> the point is that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The point is that there is no answer. I was going to say Googling in the mood for love ending explained. Um, <laughs> there are actually explainer articles. I checked online. Part no! of, part, part of the, part of the whole, like we mentioned the kind of like quarantine film club aspect of this movie is that it has been reevaluated through a 2020 lens. And that means okay. there are articles in the mood for love ending explained. So what would be in your ending is, explained article, Stacey? Is there a how it should have ended? There should be. Um, <laughs> I always really... <laughs> I always really liked the idea that they didn't consummate the relationship and that's why it was something that he did mentally linger over, that it was this kind of positive life-shaping, unconsummated relationship that he had, that there was something kind of nice and pure about it. I don't know if I'm old-fashioned that way. I just I just always liked the idea that um that that nothing did ever happen. Um until I found out there was a deleted scene where it's like, oh no, they they have sex. <laughs> the child is probably his child. Like, oh. But it's not continuity. Well, it's not canon. I like that we're talking it's about not can- in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Which again I feel like speaks to my earlier argument, which is this is a triumph of, of technical <laughs> craft over authorial intent and creative. I love that Wong Kar Wai got lucky. Yeah. Um. <laughs> he's, he's part of it. He, he, he didn't do nothing. Um, but yeah, I like that the film as it is, as it stands today is, does have that bit of ambiguity. Although, like it's really hard to explain away where that child came from, even in the finished version of the film, or like the official version of the film. If uh, you, yeah, you discount the the idea that they could have had sex. Yeah, it makes it 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 presents other issues though because like, did she go to? Was she pregnant in Singapore? 
or was she a new mother and hadn't yeah. brought her child? Yeah. Um, was that why she came? Was that why she went? As opposed to like choosing oh, yeah, to stay? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess. Um, yeah. I. 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 Are you I definitely... sniffling? Pardon? Are you sniffling? Me? I think you're no, sniffling. Maybe. No, I was just cutting onions. Um, no, it's I, not a I, bad thing. We're not. Mo- I think that's actually really sweet. I really. That's I, I, am. I. 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 I agree with um, with Stacey's point, though. How it it is kind of nice to, um, in terms of the movie, to believe that 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 nothing ever happened. Um, there there is a weird sort of a a a romance about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what about you, Luke? In terms of the, like, do you think that the ambiguity is important? Do you think that it's it's good to leave the audience space to think about it? Um, would you know? Are you meant? To, do you think that you're meant to ask this question? Even um, I think that oh, certainly I think that you're meant to ask it. I think what is significant really is that with so much of this film being about memory, um, like on in, like textually and and through how it's made. It is significant that that's not what is like. It's very. It, it is a very sexually charged movie, but but it's not like the the char- It's it's not what the characters are dwelling on really, and what they're what they're looking back at, or things like that. You know what I mean? Um, and like certainly for Tony Long's character, if they did, <laughs> it would be it, it would be quite significant then, and it would it would kind of really change the reading of it that he chooses not to remember that um, and chooses more to remember uh, how romantic and, and kind of. Uh, We're back in John Malkovich territory here, are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, just that he looks back and he's like, well, I could have knocked on that door, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. There's a woman and a kid living there. Oh, I don't know. I better... If, um, if you really... I mean, I, I'm, I'm a successful Playboy science fiction writer with a great novel about 2046 coming out. I might grow a mustache. My, my personal feeling on it is that the, the, what, from what we see of the characters, that they would allow themselves to do something like that is, is quite unlikely so unlikely that if they did that that's that's in its own way quite revealing <laughs> yeah it's this kind of old old-fashioned honorable thing where it's like in 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 the olden days we we didn't we didn't do that when we felt like we wanted to do that we would mm-hmm. go into the woods and we would find a, a tree with yeah. a little hole <laughs> and then we would just do what we wanted to the tree. Um, so. the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the quotes that comes up on screen, you know, is like the, the past is something that we can see, but we can't touch. It was like looking I through a glazed the, window. Yeah. yeah. And the, the idea that that's the, the kind of um, the melancholy aspect of that, uh, I think, it really comes from at the time as well. If there was no kind of, um, if there was no, I don't want to say no touching, <laughs> but if it, it, you know, if it, the, the idea that the sadness in that is, is if in those exact, exact moments, those things don't happen, then as I said earlier, then they're, you know, gone, you know, um, which means that like either he regrets never, uh, acting on, on those feelings or they regret, you know, acting on those feelings and then not dealing with it. 
um, because they are very reluctant to deal with their own feelings. They're very reluctant to, as I say, uh, take up their own emotional space. Um. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that. I, th- I do think that there is something very like nice in the fact that they don't and that it's important that they don't. But I also, on the other hand, part of my kind of like silly brain is like, I also like the idea that they're so repressed that after it happened, they're like, we'll never speak of it again. And they never did. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're so like so thoroughly repressed that even this is repressed on it. But yes, okay, in terms of final, final thing in my notes, uh, final thing that I kind of want to talk about with regards to in the mood for love. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about appetites being suppressed. We've talked about like difficulty in expressing yourself. We've talked about difficulty in kind of like consummating relationships together. The food. Let's talk about the food. Um, because again, this is one of the things where... Whenever, like, characters are expressing themselves, it seems to be primarily through the medium of food. They are sublimating their appetites into the consumption of food. The sharing of food together becomes a ritualized act. They literally stay up all night eating food in his room at one point. Um, I kind of like, so what do we think of the food in this? There's the sad moment where his mouth is full of uh, wonton. You know it's really good, and the reason he's eating it is because he's sad. But it's that kind of like realization with like his cheek just full of dumpling. That's like this probably won't make me happy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, like, um, the, like I know this is going to be good, but I'm still sad. <laughs> um, I mean, like it, the most arguably the most like sexually charged moment between them is when he puts a bit of hot sauce on her steak. Oh, the, yeah, the the mustard, isn't it? The yeah, mustard, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and that, it, even 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 that food looks good, and it 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 still looks like it's probably been there for like a number of takes. Um, I it, it's just something about the way kind of this is uh, lit. Um, and that'll be another thing in my recommendations will be noodles okay i was about to say <laughs> lighting food um <laughs> yeah get your own food instagram um. i think it's a very early moment where we realize that they're developing a relationship is when he gets sick and he's craving the sesame syrup like i think that happens beyond and it might be the first real indication of she's like well i'm going to do this like she tells her neighbor like oh i'm just i'm just kind of want some um we know we know what she's really craving is <laughs> one of his cereals to read something <laughs> unstimulating um yeah and it's 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 particularly significant as well uh, in that you know the sharing of food particularly in kind of a lot of asian cultures it is this communal thing and you know that they're constantly both of them being invited to share meals with everyone else and they 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 turn that down repeatedly so again it's it's even more significant and even more intimate when they do then start sharing meals together you know yeah i mean it's worth noting that like the one of the first indications that they're spouses are having affairs is when you know mr chan brings home a rice maker or rice cooker it's like because that's that's like a third wedding anniversary present you know it's like and he's just sharing those rice makers with literally everybody it seems <laughs> i shared their excitement it looked it really gave me a craving for uh for rice. <laughs> like steam coming out of the, the rice cooker i really wish i had one <laughs> <laughs> 
rice cookers are amazing. Yeah. They they're they're like they're they're fairly kind of bulky. Um um so it 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 is a bit of a faff. Like I don't want to eat rice as much. As as, as having would, one of those wouldn't have rice cooker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a more of a communal thing as well. I feel like having a rice cooker yeah. for one is a bit um Yeah, it, it's 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 all it, it is all kind of all tied in together because even the the specific food that they eat is significant because yeah. it's Seasonal. You know, after dinner, well, that, and it's it's also like after work, very quick meals. You know, um, there's a lot of that. It's like they're in, they're eating in diners, they're eating in the hotel rooms. You know, they, they get takeaway in, when they're stuck in uh, Tony Lum's apartment mm-hmm. together, um, and it's these are meals that are supposed to be quick and aren't supposed to be particularly satisfying. But their experience of it is quite different uh, for their own reasons, you know what I mean? And uh, like even the rice cooker, like it makes the rice so quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and like just the the, the contrast in the two of them eating meals together or even eating meals alone versus all the other scenes of people eating meals together, like him eating with his friend and things like that. Uh, it's all very revealing without them saying, you know, I really like sharing noodles with you or any of that kind of thing that you would they get like, if this was Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. They don't canoodle, they co-noodle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> fine, fine. No, I, I, I'll co-sign that. Um, in terms of the nonsense that we always talk about when we talk about the movie, yeah. there's no inappropriate smoking. But it's, it's very beautiful smoking. It's it gorgeous. It's great. <laughs> and it makes me want to, like, stop not... Uh, yeah, it wants me to start smoking again. Um, in, 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 in terms of Robocop obligatory <laughs> references, it's a, it's a Robocop 3 reference with the, with the threat of the um, kind of looming Japanese economy. Um, <laughs> and um, in terms of food waste, none. Um, they, they feel like they, they they properly eat everything so yeah, yeah. Um, um i'd say firstly we we really can't undersell just how beautiful these two people are yes. Tony Long is the most handsome man <laughs> on, on the planet in this film uh and yeah the way that the, both of them are dressed like that kind of those beautiful dresses that are also very constricting equally Tony Long is wearing like these these very dapper suits all the way through but like at all times it's not just the opposite. His hair. He, he, he's not changing into the like, hoodies and, and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and but, but I mean he wears those suits so well it's like well, I, didn't, I didn't blame him really I- um, I, I do love that he yeah, yeah, makes it Infernal Affairs in the same year in terms of like going from one extreme of Tony Nung to the other. Um, yeah, I was just going to quickly mention the music as well, which, you know, it, it is like two or three musical pieces really that repeat. And again, their repetition has its own significance. And like Nat King Cole, like him, him, him singing perhaps um, that like Spanish version it repeats to this point of like, I don't know, it's like mocking the characters really, or, or just kind of like, like, yeah, it's just kind of like, it makes it all the more agonizing because it's it, it tends to come in at these moments where 
they really should have done something that they just didn't do, <laughs> you know? Well, that's kind of a Wong um, kind of trademark, because I think he does as well in Chungking Express, but like California Dreaming by the Mamas and Papas slowly drives you insane if you watch that movie. Um, and in fact, actually, he's noted... Um, it's been he's been criticized by some of his fellow Chinese directors as being a bit of an MTV director, uh, which I find fascinating as well because of his use of music and his use of editing. Um, well, this movie looks like Nat King Cole's voice sounds, uh, so uh, there may be something to that, but it works. So what can you do? Um, it is worth actually singling out the choice of Yumenji's theme, um, which is the bit that plays uh, when she's walking up and down the stairs. It's the really sad kind of mournful music it, that plays while they kind of uh, co-noodle without noodles uh, in the rain as well. Um, and it's it's I was apparently originally composed for a 1991 film called um, Yum, uh, Yumeji, um, but it's notable for being used in a lot of advertising in the UK and the US. Um, so while here... It expresses somebody's deep pain and sense of loss that they can never be together. TV viewers in the UK will probably recognize the deep pain and sense of loss of not owning a Mercedes-Benz E-Class <laughs> when they hear those particular chords, um, which is fascinating as well. Can I throw something out there that I think about every now and again when I think about the fact that this movie came out in the year 2000? It's, it's Wong Kar Wai's uh, director from Hong Kong. It shows at Cannes, at the same the same Cannes Film Festival where Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon plays, out of competition, but still, they both show at Cannes in the same year, in the year 2000. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is the Chinese film that takes over the world. Like, I just often wonder, like, if there's an alternative universe somewhere, like parallel universe somewhere, <laughs> where In the Mood for Love is the, like, worldwide box office nominated for 10 academy awards makes everyone in it like an instant global icon oh um are we talking about wong car ways hulk is that where this is going (laughs) (laughs) that's 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 what it's called in uh japan i believe (laughs) 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 for love also known as wong car ways hulk um yeah no it just it, it it's very interesting to me especially because of the politics, like the political angle that we have sort of alluded to a little bit, that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon can be read as this very traditional yeehaw China kind of, you know, that that Ang Lee's stipulation that they all speak Mandarin, even though none of the principal actors naturally spoke Mandarin, to give this very specific image of Chinese cinema and what Chinese films look like, that they are these huge dazzling martial arts again yeehaw china westerns of a sort which is so at odds with what in the mood for love it's like it really does for me represent a very interesting distinction between what a movie from hong kong looks like and what a movie from mainland china looked like in uh, 2000 Uh, in the mood for love could have really gone for the award success, but it just insisted that it's not going to be like those mainland films. We're not going to be like them. You know, it's, yeah. it's not going to campaign. Do that. It's not going to get on a plane. Think? Yeah, we're not going to fly in the mood <laughs> to look for luncheons. So. If they put themselves out there. Yeah. Um, what I will say, actually, to, to Stacey's point, again, it's worth noting that like this was around the time that you had, uh, like, again, 
Hollywood moving away from criticizing China in movies. Again, we talked about like Kundun last year and like Mulan and we talked about Disney kind of cozying up to China. And, you know, I mean, obviously the Hong Kong film industry had also been ravaged by, you know, one of the big, the the Asian financial crisis had been one of the reasons why it took so long to actually get this thing finished. And I do wonder if, yeah, if maybe that, that wider cultural context is part of it as well, where it's like, yeah. this got a wide release. This did very well financially um abroad it's like when you watch it in criterion it has the universal logo at the start of it it is probably as close as one car wise came to mainstream success but mm-hmm. you do look at it and you wonder if it had not come at that moment in hong kong cinema if it had arrived three or four or five years earlier when you know hollywood was still doing films that were critical of china like seven years in tibet for example or Condon, mm-hmm. um would it have maybe found a grand swell of support in the mainstream but then again, I guess you also then look at, you know, his actual attempts to make an English language film, like the Blueberry film, My Blueberry Nights. And you're like, maybe, maybe, maybe he ended up exactly where he needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas like, like Ang, Ang Lee's attempt to make In the Mood for Love was, um, I guess it, it was Brokeback Mountain. Where, what, 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 <laughs> a couple what, of years what, later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 The ice storm. Um. <laughs> or there's lust caution as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Might yeah. be sort of similar. I like it. I like Brokeback Mountain being his. Uh, <laughs> in the mood for love. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right, then. Is there anything else we're talking about? Anything that we haven't discussed already jumping out at people? I like the Rashomon thing, kind of, in, 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 in them kind of like trying to to uh, tell their different versions of the, mm. of the story of the infidelity um i thought that was kind of a, like a nice touch i guess but mm. are, are ties a good infidelity gift that's the question for me it's like, um, like tying a noose yeah and I, I mean it feels a bit obvious it, it, yeah it feels like uh, it feels like you're kind of like it feels like in the world of in the mood for love if somebody gets you a tie they are probably having an extramarital affair with you and it just kind of <laughs> it seems like the exact opposite of what like a gift from somebody that you're having an affair with should be right <laughs> which is like subtle buried and repressed I do find their partners like lack of any real effort whatsoever <laughs> to cover their tracks. Really fascinating because they live funny. right next door to each other. <laughs> and it's like, here's here's a handbag that you can only get in Japan. <laughs> and my <laughs> that, wife has an example. That my wife knows about because I gave her the same one. <laughs> That's so wonderful. And we, we get a two for there. So not only, will, not only will my wife see you with her handbag, her husband will see you with her handbag as well. <laughs> It's like, that's such an amazing coincidence because I got you this tie that I'd say, my husband would recognize on site. I'd say it's it's part of the enjoyment of it is, is them kind of like humiliating their partners um, and, and just being like, no, I want them to know. Um, yeah. Again, what's, like, what's he going to do? Write one of his stupid samurai stories? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like Chan and Chow are drawn to that behavior more so than their own behavior yeah. you know what i mean like mm. it, it, the, the 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 very idea that they would develop feelings for each other give these gifts to each other you know develop feelings for each other and all of this they can only imagine that through other people's behavior it it is it is 
another indication of just how much they they don't allow themselves to to process where they're at individually. Yeah, everything always has to be at a remove. It has to be behavior that's ascribed to something else or a story he's writing or... It is one of those things as well. I mean, like we can be 99% sure, 99.9% sure that their partners are having an affair, but I mean, maybe he just gave her... I mean, we do see them on the phone, He brings home a lot of gifts for people. (laughs) (laughs) He's a very generous guy. He's a nice guy. (laughs) Um, Very quickly before we go, actually, I should have mentioned this when we talked about food, but it is worth noting that the when he was told, when Wong was told that he couldn't film in Summer in Beijing because he needed a script, he didn't have a script, his next idea was to make a movie called Story About Food. Uh, and that, that was like where this project originated. He was going to make, it was going to be a little th- three short films about food. And uh, In the Mood for Love was only going to be one of them, which is about two people who meet each other because they're neighbors who buy noodles together. Um, that was basically like the pitch. That's how the movie developed, which I kind of love as well. <laughs> the pitch was, it, it reminds me of that Alan Partridge thing when he's at dinner. <laughs> where he's like, food, food, movie about food, eating food. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So I, I love that In the Mood for Love is like the anti-food waste movie and that it's like so fundamentally soaked up in food that it developed from that idea. All right, then I think that about wraps it up unless there's anything else anybody wants to talk about. What we do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment, something that listeners might enjoy. It could be something related to the movie, something completely unrelated to the movie. But to give Luke and Stacey a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. What would you like to recommend? So um, I've already recommended uh, Remains of the Day. It's beautiful. It's it's one of those books that, like, when people ask me, it, it it'll, it'll generally be like in the top five um, books. When I was when I was when I was reading it the first time, um, I couldn't wait to come back to it. I would be like, you know, eating my uh, uh, meals quicker in order to get back to 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 reading Remains of the Day. And speaking of meals, um, there's a lot of um, uh, kind of uh, rice and, and and noodles in this. And when 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 this podcast comes out, it'll be the end of Brussels sprout season. Not everybody <laughs> likes Brussels sprouts, but Yada Matalengi has a very good recipe for Brussels sprouts that I've been enjoying a lot uh, lately, and um, will be enjoying a lot lately until at least mid February. I think you can get Brussels sprouts year round. It's the, the um, it's 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 called the black miso sticky rice with peanuts and Brussels sprouts, which is a catchy name. Um, and you, it doesn't have to be black rice. Um, um, but it, it's it's one of the best things I've ever uh, made or, or eaten in my life. It's great. Uh, wow. Sounds incredible. So you yeah, had you so had good. you had high expectations and it managed to rice to meet them. Hey, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's, not going against um, the grain on that one. Yeah, um No, I was going to say something. No, I'm not. <laughs> um yeah, so so yeah, check um check that out. I mean, I've 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 been having lots of noodles and miso soup and stuff lately as well, but but uh, uh, yeah, check check that recipe out if you like rice. Perfect. Um and Luke, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I would recommend, so I just finished reading uh, the uh, book of um, Out of Sight, uh, which is a similar kind of film to this in some ways. Uh, so Elmer Leonard's Out of Sight 
which was obviously adapted into the 90s film with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, which would be one of my uh, favorite films uh, ever. Uh, really enjoyable experience. It's, it's one of those novels that is a real breeze to get through. Uh, and uh, a more American lens on, on characters that uh, are unable to be together. Uh, you know, because one of them is a cop and one of them is a criminal, but uh, a really great read. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also, they actually definitely do have sex. So again, much more, much more of an American way of telling stories. But uh, no less good quality for it. I definitely recommend checking the book out. And if you've not seen the film, uh, absolutely check that out as well. Perfect, and a quite nice uh, Valentine's Day recommendation as well there. And Stacy, what would you recommend for listeners? Um. I'm like, I almost want to say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because just because I've been talking about it, like, I really want to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because it is, as much as I just kind of ragged on it as being kind of nationalistic and, like, glossy and high, it's, it's a very good movie. Um, if you liked In the Mood for Love, if you've sought it out, if you paused at the beginning of the podcast and went off and watched it, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think Chunking Express is Wong Kar Wai's other pretty good movie. Um, it's sort of two different stories that are very tenuously linked together. He kind of does this a little bit um, in terms of structuring his films and that you have very tenuously connected micro narratives within a bigger film. Um, but Chunking Express is great. As Darren mentioned earlier, it was championed by Quentin Tarantino in the nineties when it came out. It's a, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it has these fun little tonal shifts. It does have a bit of an MTV vibe about it at times. Um, and really great but, food as well. It's very much, it's anchored around like a sandwich counter. Which is- yeah, and there's a food truck in it. And there's, there's lots of nice little relationships and little moments. If you liked the kind of subtle little details that reveal a character's relationship to another character and in the mood for love, there's more of that in Chunking Express. And Tony Lung is in it as well. And he's very handsome. He's a, he's a police <laughs> officer. The first time you ever see him, California Dreamin' is playing. And it's it's just seared into my brain as just being one of the most wonderful things I've ever seen on screen. He walks towards the camera and he takes off his little police hat and you see his lovely face. <laughs> and it's such a, this is what, yeah, he's 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 a hipster music video director, Long Kar Wai at heart. And he, he wears that uniform. He definitely does. Yes, he's, he's certainly he's certainly wearing that uniform. He looks to protect great. and um, serve, anyway, <laughs> serve and looks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Chunking Express. If you liked this, try Chunking Express. It's, it's a bit fun. Um, I would also recommend it, if only because there's a moment where the young gives a pep talk to a piece of uh, soap. Yeah. And it is surprisingly touching and affecting. <laughs> that almost got me to cry more than in the mood for love. Like uh, Leung trying to like get soap to pull itself together. I was like, damn it, soap. I believe in you. Um, and for myself, three very quick recommendations. So again, if you do like um, in the mood for love, and again, this is one of the things where, you know, Hong Kong cinema, Chinese cinema, the two differences between the two, but two Chinese films that I really appreciated recently. One of them is a Hong Kong film. It's The Crossing directed by Zhu Bei. 
Um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend seeking that out. It's about smuggling iPhones from mainland China into and out of Hong Kong. Um, it's very good. It's very tense. It's very funny. Um, it's very well deserved. It has a fantastic cast and is a great deal of fun worth seeking out. Uh, I'd also recommend from mainland China uh, last year or the year before, uh, Zhang Jia's Ashes Purest White, um, which is this kind of weird, dreamy logic kind of gangland epic. But it's again, it's a love story that's told across time and space. Again, found it very moving, very sweet um, and very clever and does a number of really interesting things and is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, to look at. Uh, the second recommendation is going to be pretty much what Andrew already did, which is Remains of the Day, but I'm going to recommend the movie uh, because, you know, I am hip and cultured. Uh, but also, yes, because it is a movie that makes me cry and there are very few of those. So yes, I would wholeheartedly recommend that. And if you are on like a 90s repressed Anthony Hopkins love story binge, which is great. I love that that genre exists. Also Shadowland, uh, which is directed by Richard Attenborough about C.S. Lewis and starring Deborah Winger. That is well worth your time. And then final recommendation. Um, this is coming out in February, um, but back in January, there was the fifth anniversary of the passing of David Bowie um, and the, uh, I think the, what's 35th or 45th anniversary of the release of uh, Station to Station, which is probably my favorite Bowie album. So I've been listening to a couple of old Bowie tracks and again, things that make Darren cry uh, because In the Mood for Love just wasn't up to it. Um, so listening to those old Bowie songs, particularly the stuff from the 70s, so Station to Station, Low, Heroes and Lodger, uh, which are basically his I'm going to kill myself if I don't get off cocaine I'm going to Berlin to try and get sober with my friend Iggy Pop, and I'm going to try and pull my life back together, a series of albums where you can hear a man rending his soul um, in music. Uh, I just find them beautiful. I listen to them again, and they are uh, well worth seeking out if you haven't already. All right, then. uh, So time to wrap up. But before we go, Luke, where can we find you online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter far too often at Mr. Cynical. That's cynical with an I. And you can also find my writing occasionally, not so much lately because of, you know, everything <laughs> but, <laughs> i don't feel like you need to justify you can that find it you can find it at www.filmdubbing.ie perfect um and the breakout world podcast as well yes we yes that's also a thing that i do okay. some of the time <laughs> okay sorry um, and stacy where can we find you Sorry, I uh, Yes, I'm also on Twitter at Silver Saint Greg, G R O D, and uh, occasionally also on the Escapist movie podcast with Darren, and occasionally on Entertainment.ie. But uh, as as Luke said, far too often on Twitter also. Uh, perfect. Um, you can follow the podcast at, at the Two Fifty. We're available on Citron, SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are sold. We mentioned at the start of the hour that because this is going to be a tough year for everybody, because everybody needs a little bit of love in their lives. Myself and Andrew, and again, this is something that's going to get the Two Fifty fanfic shipper slash domain really excited. But myself and Andrew were talking about Valentine's Day, about plans for Valentine's Day, and I was like, we should do in the mood for love. I think that should be our Valentine's Day episode. Are we doing? And- are we doing eighty four Charing Cross Road? <laughs> Um, and Andrew 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 replied with yes I think we should also do 365 days we were you 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 were asking me about it last summer and it 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 it, um it didn't happen so I was wondering like are we gonna do that will we do it now yeah I mean I've seen it because for some reason Netflix kept on recommending it (laughs) I was like you were right, Netflix. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, 
Andrew but, very Andrew texts but like stop it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Andrew did literally text for Valentine's it's, it's, Day, are we doing three hundred and sixty five days? I feel like it's important to get that across. I have not watched three hundred and sixty five days. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, listeners may be surprised to hear that of the two lists on the IMDB, it is not on the top two fifty. Um, <laughs> but the wonderful Grace Duffy will be joining us for that discussion. Um and I am if there's a word for both anticipating and dreading something, that is what I'm feeling at the moment. We'll be back next week. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Thank you so much, Bye. guys. Really appreciate Thanks that. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Bye. That was really fun.